Good. Good to see you all. You having a good day? Yes. You've made it to the last bit of the afternoon. And uh, then we can go and get some food and relax for a bit. Is it, hopefully this is what you've come for. Yeah? Yeah. Good. Good. Good, good, good. Okay, well what we're going to do today is I'm going to just give you a little bit of an introduction. Uh, and then Kevin's going to do all the hard work. And then I'll come on the back of what Kevin says and make a couple of other points as well. Um, we were given a title for this seminar, Why Am I Still Passionate About Church Planting? There's an awful lot of assumption in there, isn't there? <laughs> After doing it for 15 years, why well, am I still passionate? Yes, I am still passionate about church planting. And uh, I've got three main reasons why I'm still passionate about church planting. And the first one is because of the last words of Jesus in Matthew 28, uh, the Great Commission. Uh, and historically and statistically, the best way for us to achieve that commission is through the planting, growing and multiplying of healthy local churches. It's the most effective form of winning the lost. And so to do that, we want to be rooted in that scripture. We've been sent out on this mission and church planting is the most effective way of doing it. That's one of the reasons I'm still passionate about it, because I care about the lost and I want to see souls saved. I want to populate heaven for the bit of time that I've got here on earth. Um, second reason is because of our shared history. Still passionate about it because from the early days of New Frontiers, we've been really fruitful, actually, <laughs> in planting churches. And in the early days, lots of people didn't quite know how to describe New Frontiers. Was it a missionary organisation? Was it just a network of churches with similar values? But in, increasingly, we became known as a church planting movement by people outside of New Frontiers because we were just trying to carry out the Great Commission and, and, and re reform the church, I guess. Uh, and so the key way that we've seen that achieved is through, through church planting. So lots of our churches that began as house churches are now warehouse churches. And, uh, and they're now shaping... Hello, Steve, you're right. All right. They're, now, they're now shaping the, I guess, the expression of Christianity that we see. So there'll be churches that are not from... New Frontiers or from our kind of family of churches, but they're churches that carry our values, sing our songs, have a similar style to us because of the influence of the churches that New Frontiers, Commission and other spheres have, have planted and grown. So, so because of the Great Commission, we want to see souls saved. Because of our shared history, we've been effective at it, but I believe we need a new, a new day of missionary zeal, if I'm honest. I think our church planting endeavours have waned I think our passion for it has waned. I think our effectiveness and fruitfulness has kind of halted. I could put it down to all sorts of reasons. Um, pandemics don't help, but I don't think that's an excuse. Um, so I think we've got to pick up ourselves and get going again, if I'm honest. Um, and the third reason is because of our prophetic call. You know, we all, when, when, when Guy was kind of saying, what's our vision as commission? We were all able to answer the question, weren't we? We, were able, we want to see thousands of lives transformed through hundreds of churches in tens of nations. Well, that, that's, that's not just a, a snappy kind of... In fact, it's not even that snappy, is it? it uh, you know, that, that's an entrustment. That's an entrustment God has given us to do. And there will come a point when he's going to ask us, what did you do with the entrustment that I gave you to see hundreds of churches planted and I don't want to be part of that gang that says well we did two or three but then we got a bit bored and then the pandemic came and 
then, you know, family life got a bit busy and then I couldn't be bothered. You know, I don't want to be that part of that gang. Yeah? So, so that's my third reason why I'm still passionate about church planting, because I think we've got, there's a prophetic call on us as a movement. And I want you to be even open to that call of God today, because some of you will be amongst those that are thinking, okay, I'm fairly settled where I am at the moment. And you know, when God speaks, it can, it can change in a moment, can't you? I mean, I was in a meeting recently and somebody said something and something happened and then all of a sudden I may well be doing something different with the next five or ten years of my life. And you just don't know when those moments are going to be. Okay, so I want you to be open to that today. So, so the title that we've got, why am I still passionate about church planting? That involves three things. Passion, it involves church, and it involves planting. Kevin's going to have a look at the first bit and then I, I want to talk a little bit about planting and what a biblical picture of planting looks like and why that is such an important metaphor for us and then we want to be open to some really honest Q&A and conversation and prayer at the end is that okay so Kevin if I hand over to you then uh, you can take how are you guys are you all right everyone okay good 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 you're into the long slog second day four o'clock you're doing well if you're here especially in sofas i mean they they've really set us up <laughs> you guys are in sofas um so like chris said historically in new frontiers and in commission i'd say we are known as a church planting movement uh, you know it's one of our core core values so of course we are passionate about church planting but do you know passion is a thing of the heart, uh, it's, and therefore passions can come and passions can go. Uh, and it's a bit like um, what can happen is we can have uh, a, a, a passionate value of ours can steadily, over a period of time, without even noticing, turn into a stated value. Uh, a stated value is something that we talk about, but actually in reality isn't really in the heart. It's a little bit like None of you will ever have done this, but you lie on your CV in the interests column. It's very interesting what you put in the interest column. You know, you know you've got to put something. So often you can put, well, I was once interested in a reading or, or whatever it is. I played bass when I, you know, and why? Because we know it needs to be there. And it can, we can easily, and if I'm honest, uh, we have probably moved somewhat towards that area where we state a value but it isn't necessarily a passion and do you know what passion really matters it really does matter it's a thing of the heart proverbs chapter 4 you think about this above all else guard your heart for everything you do flows from it just consider that for a minute Everything you do flows from it. Passion matters. It really, really matters. So in Romans, uh, I can't remember what chapter it is, Romans 12, Paul actually says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. That's why I love conferences like this, because they are actually regenerating zeal and passion and fervor rather than just telling you how to do things. So passion really, really matters. And can I say, it probably matters in an even bigger way for church planting. Why? Because the word passion, do you know where it comes from? It comes from Latin. It comes from the word passio, which actually means to suffer. 
In other words, people who went through trials and tribulations exuded such a passion that they created a word to describe them. In other words, passion is something that means to take you through a cost so that you come out the other side. It, it, it's the motivation, it's the impulse. And if I'm honest, with church planting, there is a cost. Uh, you, I'm going to go through some of the costs, and you might wonder, is this the church planting seminar? <laughs> but I want to be real, because you need to understand that passion really matters for commission on this area. We must regain this passion. Number one, what's the cost? It's a, it's a cost to the families that go. You know, when we first moved to Salisbury many years ago, we took a handful of people from Bournemouth, and you know, I'm, about, I'm a young leader, and I'm watching these people follow me, taking risks, and they are paying a price. Mm. Their kids moved to school. Some of them really struggled. One of their kids, a teenager, had to catch the bus every day back to Bournemouth because she couldn't move her course. Many of the guys had to change jobs. They had to, uh, or they commuted in their jobs. Some of the families paid tens of thousands of pounds to go through a house move. You need to understand in church planting there's a cost for the families that move. There's a cost for the church that sends them. Any church that has sent out a group of people, you can imagine the people going, the sending out day is kind of rah, rah, rah. <laughs> no one ever films the following Sunday where there's a whole group of seats that has no one in it anymore. Or the loss of resources, the loss of friendships, the loss of people who were serving. Often the key column people of the church, there's a real loss for the sending church. And do you know what? In our culture, it's even more key. Why? Because our culture tells us that big is better. Big is always better. You know, they, bigger churches have got more resources. They've got the bands. They've got the lighting, they've got the buildings, they've got the family programs, they've got great stuff for youth. They've got great stuff for kids. Why on earth would you break that all up for a Sunday morning in a cold primary school hall with one guy and a guitar and his you know, rainbow strap and singing slightly or even quite a lot out of tune? Why would you turn that into that? Can you understand that there's a real cost? And we need to understand that if we think big is better, we're going we're gonna to suffer. There's a cost for the sending church. There's a cost financially. You know, these days, it's, we move into the multi-church kind of context. Uh, multi-site, I think you call it in the UK, don't you? The, the congregations, extra congregation. And to, in truth, it, it's a good model. You know, you don't have to multiply an eldership team and all of those sort of things. There can be some savings in it. There's still a cost. Financially, there's a cost. You pay for two venues instead of one. You buy new equipment. You have the resource, new advertising, uh, as well as all the cost of the people that you send. You've got double the amount of bands that you need. You've got double the amount of kids' works that you need. You've got double of them. Ah, and double the headaches, including, including there's a financial cost. And you're wondering, is this a church planting seminar, aren't you? <laughs> and it's a risk. It's a risk. It's a costly risk. In, in other words, there's no guarantee that any of this will, will work. Uh, you know, you, you can, 
you can put the cost on the sending church or the people that went and all of those sort of things and there is absolutely no guarantee that a church plant will work. I think it's, it used to be something like 10% of church plants in the UK fail. I suspect that has risen, not gone down. Um, and certainly in, UK, in overseas contexts, it's much higher. I know probably more than 50% of the church plants in Madrid in the time we've been there have failed. Uh, that's, a, that's a high, you can imagine, 50% and you're, you're taking a risk. Now why am I telling you all of this? Because they're realities. I think when people resist church planting, I don't think they're just being stubborn. I think there's genuine concerns. I think people genuinely wonder, is this worth it? Wouldn't it just be better to keep the bigger context and just have more resources and go for it? And so I think we need to be able to grapple with those things and try and understand not just um, how to do church planting, but why we, we need to be convinced about why we church plant. We may not have all the answers to how, but we must have all the answers to why. We must be convinced. And so first of all, we need to be passionate. And now I want to ask the question, why plant churches? And that will help us with the passion. Why churches? Why plant churches? Number one, I would want to say it's what Jesus told us to do. Uh, it's how you make disciples. Uh, our commander-in-chief gave us a mission. It's a mission that is still in play now nothing has changed and that mission Matthew 28 uh, Chris referred to it all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me in other words don't worry about the perceived lack of resources you know I'm in it I'm going to provide all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, granted, Jesus doesn't there in Matthew 28 refer to church planting. He doesn't say it. Uh, but it would be a bit strange if he did, because they wouldn't have really understood what a church was, uh, or how to plant one, or why to plant one. So there's a good reason why it doesn't say it. But what he does give us there are three key elements to our mission. Baptising, making disciples, baptising, and teaching them to obey. Now, every single one of those elements happens within the local church. We baptise people... Under the authority of local elders, we choose to baptise people into a community, into a church. In that church, there is teaching and fellowship and discipleship as we teach people to obey and have a certain level of accountability. It happens in local church. And most importantly of all, how do you make disciples? Well, it happens in local church. You can't learn it in a course. You must learn it in a community that is looking to teach and share communion together and discipleship and fellowship together. That's how you make disciples. So number one, how do you make disciples? It's in community. But the second thing, it's a community that's on a mission. I think those are the two 
key elements if you want to make disciples. Community that disciples one another, teaches one another, trains one another. But it must be a community on a mission. Why do I say that? Jesus, when he called his disciples into this discipleship relationship to follow him, the context of following him was in mission. He called them into mission because it's in that context that he would disciple them. So, for example, you find that Jesus doesn't take them away, sit them around in a nice, cosy living room with a coffee table and coffee, and we sit and talk about the scriptures. Jesus takes them on a mission. And in that mission, they find themselves in the middle of a storm in a lake at night, terrified. And it's in that moment where they turn to Jesus and wake him up that they discover that even the wind and the waves obey him. You can only learn that in the mission. You can only learn it in that context. You can't learn it in a living room. You can't learn it on a Sunday morning. You can learn it intellectually, but to be thoroughly convinced about it, you have to learn it on the mission with Jesus in the lake. Or in in the mission with Jesus, he took them and there's thousands of people and he says, you feed them. Why did he do that? Because they needed to learn to meet the needs of a fallen world. They needed to learn how to depend on Jesus. Am I making sense? It's only in that context that you can really make disciples. So please hear this. And please hear it carefully because I'm, I'm not dividing us. Big is not necessarily better. What matters is a community on a mission. Doesn't mean to, see, mean to say that big is worse. It's a community that is capturing their members up on the mission that will healthfully dis- disciple people. That can be bigger, that can be smaller. Now please hear this. Bigger isn't worse, but there is a weakness, a vulnerability in the bigger. What is that vulnerability? Well, the very things that attract people to them, their resources, their family programs, their bigger context, their better preachers, their great worship, those very things can be the very things that people are attracted to and become a source of comfort rather than taking them on a mission. It's not to say the church is wrong, but we just need to understand that sometimes bigger is more of an obstacle to get your people to a place of dependence on God because they become dependent on a big youth group for their teenage kids, for example. Am I making sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, Uh, where was I? Anyone got an idea? Tim Chester says this. When we think mission, we must think church. And the best way to link church and mission is through church planting. Because a church plant is naturally on a mission. And actually the whole it leaves in the local, in the sending church creates other people feeling like, I need to step up. There's a need of mission. It's a great way of providing community that's on a mission together. Um, 
one of the best things that I've experienced as I've gone church planting is actually the effect on the people that came with us. They, they, they find themselves in a context where they need to depend on God again. Uh, uh, you know, the best prayer meetings I've ever been into at the start of a new church plant. Why? Because everybody is desperate that God turns up. <laughs> Suddenly they realise we need God to turn up. You know, that is the most healthy context for, for Christians to be in. And so we mustn't protect our people from those things. You know, so on a Sunday morning when you've got 18 people in the room and half of them are kids and the kids are all running around and the worship guy is trying to, trying to avoid you from being distracted, you know, feels really vulnerable and, and not very attractive. But do you know it's in those contexts that we most learn to go, grow in God, most learn to depend on him. I've got a quote from one of our guys in Madrid. Uh, he said this, you only find, I asked him, what's your experience of church planting? He said, you only find that Jesus is all you need uh, when Jesus is all you have. <laughs> he said, the first few years were the hardest I've ever experienced, but I could never have imagined all the pos positives that have happened since. After four and a half years, I can safely say that firstly, I'm truly convinced that the local church is the hope for this world. Also, what cross-cultural mission does is it pulls out of you everything that you think you know of God, squishes it into mush, throws it away, tests to see where you truly are with God, then fills you with a wonder of who he really is, how much you mean to him, his unfathomable love. So I can safely say, this has been the best decision I've ever made. There's a cost, but it's worth it. And it's worth it for those who go. So if we try and shelter our people from this sort of stuff, we are sheltering them from the very thing Jesus called us to. So first thing, why am I passionate about church planting? It's what Jesus has called us to do. It is genuinely how you make disciples. The best thing you can be doing is thinking about planting. If you don't think we're ready yet, we just need to get a little bit more stronger. Well, I understand that, but that can deceive us into thinking that actually that's what we're dependent on and not on Jesus. So let's, let's be pushing out. Number two, uh, planting churches is the most effective way of reaching the lost. Now this also is quite a polemical thing, and I don't know why. People debate this truth, um, that it's the best way of reaching lost people. Um, all the stats say it. But more importantly for me, I've experienced it. So, for example, when you go out... Uh, to plant a church in Salisbury, there's 20 of you, maybe, probably not even that. And uh, I remember at one point looking back at, at this church, because we came out of this church, not this building, but this church. And uh, I remember looking back and seeing that, the, you know, it, it came to Christmas time. And they had, I don't know how many carol services. You know, we have become so slick at doing carol services, haven't we? And we've got carol services for students, for families, for this, for that. I remember at one point I came back here and they had bouncy castles all up and down the side of the room to get the kids in so that the parents could be able to, And they've got hundreds of people coming through. And you think, that's wow. They have turned it into a, just a wonderful way of re reaching more, more and more people. Do you know what we had? In Salisbury, we had a, a Christmas nativity scene. Do you remember? We didn't even have the energy. We'd been planting three or four months in. 
You know, we didn't have the time or the energy to put even on a, a little kid's display or whatever. They had a Christmas nativity scene where they just came out and they all had a little thing. And then the parents came out, took a photo, and that was it. They <laughs> all sat down. And there was one, I think we had one Christian came in. He, for some reason, he sat on the front row. Simon Redmill was preaching. It's happened many a time. He got up and walked out <laughs> in the middle of a preach. Do you remember? The non-Christian, yeah, not Simon. <laughs> and you wonder, and we can think, well, is, is that really effective in reaching the lost? You know, city gate got it slick. Got hundreds of people coming in. People lifting their hands up. Do you know that first year, our church plant doubled in number, doubled. I don't think Citygate have doubled in all the time. Maybe just about, actually. Probably just about have doubled. You know, if you doubled in a year your church, they would be writing books about you. Mm. It's quite a common experience in a church plant. You take 20 people and they multiply into 20 more. Why? It really is the most effective way of reaching the loss. And here's why it's the most effective way. Number one... It's great motivation to reach out. You know, most Christians have good intentions of making non-Christian friends. Uh, Their real struggle is actually turning that into practice. We we all want to, don't we? I think what's lacking is the real motivation to do it. We've got good intentions, but intentions are different to motivation. Church planting is a wonderful motivation. Why? Because it's an issue of survival. Literally... You know, if you don't start reaching out, you probably won't be around for the next few years. It puts you in a place, once again, where you're dependent on God. Tim Keller says this, talking about church plant teams, he says, In general, they are forced to focus on the needs of their non-members simply to get off the ground. It's just good motivation. It's survival. So, first few years in Madrid, 95% of our time was spent with non-Christians. It genuinely was. Now I struggle because the church has grown and we've got two you know, congregations and there's lots going on. I struggle to get an hour a week with a non-Christian. In those early days, it, it was just natural. There was another couple who came, really, really good couple. I mean, honestly, these are really good couple. They are serious about their faith. They came and their parents came out after maybe a year to come and visit them and see them. And their parents are non-Christians. And they said to them, as they left, they said this to them. You talked before, when you lived in England, before church planting, you talked a lot about sharing your faith with those outside. For the first time, I can see you're doing it. It's motivation. Number two, you are going to them. Jesus' first thing on Matthew 28 is go. And that's what you do. In John 1.14, in the message version of John 1.14, describing Jesus, it says... He moved into the neighborhood. I love that expression. That's what you do when you go church planting. You move into their neighborhood. So when we moved into Madrid, we made friends with a couple called Sonia and Germán. They are very bright people. They are PhDs, uh, university lecturers. They've lived in Manchester, they've lived in Germany, and they've lived in Madrid. So they've seen a bit of the world. They said to us, as we've built relationships with them and talked to them, they said to us, we have never met an evangelical Christian, Spanish evangelical Christian. 
we moved into their neighbourhood. <laughs> and first of all, they met evangelical Christians, and we were then able to introduce them to Spanish evangelical Christians. You move into their neighbourhood. It's what happens. We could describe stories of people like that in Salisbury as well. So secondly, you're going to them. You're moving into their neighbourhood. Thirdly, it's easier for a church plant to adapt and innovate as they, as they face new challenges and new cultures. You see, over time, neighbourhoods change. New people move in, other people move out. Uh, uh, there's immigration that happens. There's a whole generational change that occurs without us even noticing. And more established traditional churches have their programmes have their traditions, have their way of doing things which are much harder to then adapt to reach a new group of people. Church plants, because they are more focused on the people outside, more naturally adapt and innovate to help reach a new generation or a new neighbourhood or, or those kind of things. And finally, why is it so good at reaching the lost? It's attractive. You know, we think what's attractive is having all the facilities, a band, you know, all of those sort of things, being established, being able to say it's solid. And those things are good, please hear me, but I believe what people most long for is community. And what you find in a church planting context is that team that goes form into a really, really tight community. It's a community on a mission together, and we are pulling together. Every single one of us is willing it on. Every single one of us is at the prayer meetings. Why? Because we know we need to make it work. It's, and, and what happens is people come into that context and they're like, wow, this is a beautiful group of people. They're not thinking, what I want is lights and smoke and this. I mean, it's distracting and it's attractive in a way. What they really want is a sense of belonging. When we first moved to Salisbury, uh, there were a number of people that joined us in those early days and uh, got saved with us in that first year, quite a few. Many of them were single mums, interestingly, of uh, more working class background. And uh, most of the people we bought were middle class families, but somehow God just added these people into us. And one of these ladies, uh, she... Uh, wasn't a Christian, she, she comes and joins us and uh, one day, I won't go into the story, it's too long, but one day she, she kind of, we were sharing bread and wine and uh, we sat down with her and another girl who was a not, not a Christian and to try and help them through, you know, the whole religious process of taking bread and wine, they probably never done it before and, uh, and, and she said to me, I can't take bread and wine, I'm not a member and I said, well, you don't need to be a member, you need to be a Christian. And I explained what that was. And uh, I said, what do you want to do? She, in tears in her eyes, she said, I want to, I want to become a Christian. Even the non-Christian, <laughs> a friend started crying with her. When I asked her afterwards, why did you want to make that step? She said, I never knew a group of people like this existed. She'd spent her whole life looking for community. This group of people came in just loving one another, loving the people around her, and that's what she wanted. Yeah. It's attractive because it is community. It's the first time I ever saw the church in Ephesians out in real life was when I went church planting in Salisbury. And I came from a great church. 
I mean, it's really a brilliant church, City Gate. But what I really experienced it when we were on a mission together. Can, uh, am I making sense? We must renew a passion for this. Uh, it's funny, as I was preparing this, I, I really felt like, how do you address this? Because most of you are probably already sold on this. If you come to the church planting seminar at a leaders conference, it means you're probably thinking, and I'm talking probably to the more converted. You and I have got a job to do. And a job is to communicate this stuff to others. To really be convinced ourselves, but also to help others gain this area. So church planting, have I got any more time, Chris? You sure? Uh, church planting... Thirdly, and to finish, really, church planting is a great way of bringing through new leaders. Uh, I really, really believe that. Maybe it's the best way. I had one of the best opportunities for leadership training that there could possibly be. I, was, I grew up in, as a n- new Christian in New Frontiers. Uh, and then after a few years, Vanessa and myself went to EFM, which is the future leadership, whatever you call it these days. But that was it in those days. Two years of theological training under some of the best charismatic teachers in the UK, I would, I would hesitate to say, but I, I think it was true. Um, and then I had two years sat in the office with Guy Miller, uh, who was at the time a regional leader, is now a movement leader. You know, you couldn't ask for more of a privileged training program for leadership, real theology and real worked out in practice with Guy. Do you know the best moment I had in my growth in leadership was when Guy kicked us out of here and sent us to Salisbury? Because leadership... Is really, it's about taking responsibility for a group of people and saying, I'm going to get them here. And it's only when you really start to take on that responsibility and feel the weight of that responsibility that you yourself can start to grow. You can know all the theory, but it's when you actually do it that you step up. Church planting creates that context, not just talking about people who are leading the church plant, but... You have to multiply leaders in every area when you're planting churches, both in the church that's sending and in the church that's going. It's a great place for us to pick it up. Uh, It's when you have to, no other option but to dig deep and find God and the gifts God has given you, that has to start. That's when you start to find your potential in God. Uh, We've got um, Eduardo. Tanya's not here, actually. She's skiving my my seminar. What? <laughs> well, I was going to honour this couple. <laughs> now, Eduardo and Tanya, they've been with us a few years, two or three years in Madrid. Uh, just a brilliant, brilliant couple. Uh, in that period, we've adopted a congregation. And because of the pandemic, we've actually gone through, you know, like everybody else, we've found resources. We were tight for resources in Madrid anyway. And, you know, resources are even less. And now we're looking to how do we strengthen a new congregation that we're adopting and needs to have its culture reshaped. Eduardo and Tanya have picked it up for us. And they, they hardly know us. And I, most nights I'm lying awake worried for them. <laughs> do you know, they're, they're the ones that have grown most. Uh, and I think it's just God's grace. God's grace on them to say, hey, there's a way of learning here. It's what Jesus did. It's actually, when you look back in history, 
It's what most of the massively growing movements of God. It's exactly what happened. I don't know if you know anything about the Methodist circuit riders. You know, we all hear about Wesley and Whitfield and that generation. They went out preaching, took the gospel outside, saw thousands of people gathered to hear the gospel. It's the generations afterwards, actually, the unknowns, that really saw the explosion of the gospel, both in the UK and in the US. And it was done by a group of people, unknown people, called Methodist Circuit Riders. What happened was, they went to a town, they would preach the gospel, and these young men would come to faith in Christ. And they just didn't have the people or the training opportunities, and so what they would do, they would find the most passionate ones, who maybe had a little bit of knowledge, and they would send them out as circuit riders. And they were told, preach what you know and reach for the power. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's great training, isn't it? Preach what you know. Don't preach what you don't know, okay? And, re- and then reach for the power. Just, just look for God to turn up. And they did it. And they would go out literally on their horse and they would go from town to town to town. They'd have a circuit that would last about a month going from town to town to town, everywhere they went, they would preach the gospel, gather people. And then they themselves, what they would do is they went off to the next town, they would appoint lay readers or lay leaders who were, once again, people who were passionate for Jesus and had a tiny bit of knowledge. And they were given the opportunity of sharing or preaching a couple of times, see if they could do it. And if they were, they were given an expositor's license, or I can't remember what they called it now. Uh, and, and they were allowed to teach the people that were left believers in that community while the circuit rider went round on his, his journey. And then he'd be back in a month to ask, answer their questions. And, and uh, that was how it went. Those people, all untrained, learning on the job. They, were, they had bishops that oversaw them that helped the, the circuit riders. The circuit riders helped the lay readers to grow in God. Do you know, in that community, they exploded. They added a million people in 60 years. I think it's something like it was 30,000 at the end of Wesley and Whitfield that would be called Methodists. And then in the next 60 years, they added a million people. They were explosive in planting churches. They were adding at one point nearly two a day. In fact, I found a song that they had... And I love the song. It says, The infidel, infidels, a motley band in council met. The churches are dying across the land and soon will all be dead. When suddenly the message came and struck them in dismay. All hail the power of Jesus' name. We're building two a day. <laughs> We're building two a day, dear Bob. We're building two a day. All hail the power of Jesus' name, we're building to a day. <laughs> Hallelujah. Long for the day that commission can say that. Well, to a month. <laughs> to a year. To a year. <laughs> <laughs> so those are, I mean, I've just named three things. I could go into more. There's, it's why, why plant churches is spiritual warfare. Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It plants a heavenly culture on earth. It's a healthy way to create gaps for other members in sending churches. It creates greater innovation. 
It releases and develops dormant gifts in its members. It can help revitalize more established churches. It takes the whole family on a mission. It is key for reaching people cross-culturally. It's unforgettable adventure. It's a partnering with God to create something from nothing, and it leaves a legacy. We must be, must be passionate about church planting. And I'm going to hand back to Chris. I just want to mention a bit about planting, that, that word we use, because it's an interesting word, isn't it? And you kind of, we say it and it just rolls off the tongue, just church planting. But we don't think of the richness behind the metaphor of it sometimes. And I think we have to understand that this is deeper than just a, a handy way to, to phrase the starting of a new church, because it's a, it's a biblical picture, it's a biblical metaphor going right back to Genesis. So Genesis 1.11 let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees that bear fruit with seeds in it. You see, plants contain something. They contain the DNA for growth and multiplication. So anything that we're doing and establishing in this kind of a way, it contains the DNA for fruitfulness. And what God said to Adam was be fruitful and increase in number. Subdue the earth, multiply, fulfill all of that. And when we're planting something, we're not just... We're not, it's not like we're, we're, we're sticking something in the ground. What we're doing is we're, 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 we're establishing a bundle of potential. And who knows what then flows from that. I mean, I remember, I remember Kevin and Vanessa going to Salisbury. I remember that happening. And now I look at what's there, and it's amazing. You look, and, then, and then Madrid, and you look at now what's happening there. Growth, multiplication. I mean, we, we left Winchester in 2007. And we've had a real joy of planting. I mean, it was, it was all the things you mentioned. Ropey, knocking about in old halls. And, you know, sometimes you just cringe. And yet now we look back over the... Sometimes, most, most Sundays, we look back and we think, wow, now God's been with us. You know, we've now got three congregations and bunches of leaders and buildings and all of that kind of stuff. Because planting is a seed. It has the DNA for multiplication. I love this. Genesis 2.28, now the Lord had planted a garden in the east of Eden, in the east in Eden. Now man's first dwelling place was God's first church plant. That was a church plant. It was a place where people could have fellowship with one another and fellowship with God. They could grow in their knowledge of God together through that first planting. Now we know that one didn't go too well. <laughs> I've had church plants like that as well. <laughs> There'll be horror stories in there. Uh, you know, ambition gets in, sin gets in. Sometimes our motivation goes from being service and love to ambition, and it can destroy all sorts of things, just as it did in that very first church plant. Then you've got Noah, Genesis 9. The call was still the same, be fruitful and increase, but this time with a promise, this promise of the rainbow, that God would not judge the, the world with in that way again what's the first thing that Noah did when, when he came out from the ark after the flood you remember he planted something he planted a vineyard he then drank the grape yeah. drank, the, drank the wine <laughs> you know what happened then <laughs> lay down in this there's a bit of a pattern here isn't there there is a bit of a pattern here God encourages us to be fruitful and we make a mess of it <laughs> don't let that put you off <laughs> you know, 
God's got a plan. He's already factored in our stupidity. Don't worry about it. Um, but, but what I want you to understand is throughout Scripture, whether it's Joseph being a fruitful vine or God giving us us giving God first fruit, there's, there's planting and gardening and pruning and all these kind of metaphors throughout, throughout Scripture. <laughs> this is a joke. The tribes in Joshua, what were they called? Allotments. <laughs> gardening. Allotments. That's a joke. <laughs> 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 I love dad jokes cheesy jokes um, you know in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus says that every good tree bears good fruit and that's why we're passionate about church planting because we want to plant good trees that bear good fruit yeah, healthy local churches that will grow, bear fruit, seed multiply and continue this beautiful thing that God has begun you know, cultivating the word cultivate means preparing and using something. And I just wonder what God's doing in you at the moment. Because I think he's preparing some of you. Cultivating you. And preparing you for use. And so I think cultivation is an intentional thing. You can't kind of just be cultivated to. It's something you have to be involved in. And I would encourage you to cultivate. By that, I mean, get around some people that have planted churches and ask questions. Read some books about church planting. Throw yourself into a group of people who have got prophetic gifting and say, come on, guys, can you, have you got anything for me? Let's pray. Um, those kind of things are intentional things that you can do to try and cultivate. You know, I remember a couple of years before we planted Life Church. Uh, I was very happy in Winchester and Greg Haslam called me over one Sunday morning and he said, uh, Chris, I've got a picture for you, a prophetic picture for you. I said, okay, Greg, you know, it's a good leader, good prophetic voice. I'm, I'm going to listen to this. Uh, and he said, I can see a hand around you and it's like you're in a pot and God is shaking the pot like that. And he's loosening the soil off your roots. And at that point, I felt really uncomfortable. Because there's only one reason why you would shake the dirt off the roots. of a, It's because it's going to be planted somewhere else. But from that moment, that thought was sown. And I had to either reject it or cultivate it. That's why I say get amongst prophets and be open to the prophetic. Because God was kind you see, what he was doing was he was helping me emotionally and psychologically to get ready for the fact that I was going to have to uproot my wife and my family and my job and my this and everything in order to follow his call. So cultivating is part of it. Maybe that's you today. You need to start cultivating something. Pruning is another part of this kind of planting, gardening picture as well. John 15, I'm the true vine, my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. I don't know if you ever really thought about pruning. Um, it's always uncomfortable. It's always uncomfortable. Pruning never feels, never feels nice, does it? When God cuts something off, when God takes something away, it always feels like you've lost something. Something that you used to have has gone. 
But we more always need to remind ourselves of the purpose of the pruning. It's not to cut us back. It's to enable us to bear greater fruit. Kevin's really adequately talked about the cost of planting. When it happens, it feels like a pruning. It feels like God cuts off all the things that you looked at and enjoyed. You know, I love my, I've got roses in my garden. I, I mean, I love, I love it. When the sp- spring starts to come, you see the first green, the first buds, the first, and then the first blooms. And, you know, you see it, and it's, it's just great. But that's not going to happen unless in the autumn or the very early spring, I'm serious about the pruning. And sometimes I feel the pain of it. When you've still got some nice greenery and you've still got some nice buds there, and you think, actually, it's time, the time has come for me to cut it back so that next year we're going to get a good display. And what I want to warn you of is it's very easy to be precious about last season's growth. It's very easy to look at where you are now and say, it's, it's, it's good, it's all good, it looks good, it's going well, it's, it's, it's a display. But unless you're prepared for a pruning, it won't bear fruit next season. And so I want you to be prepared for that fact, that sometimes you're going to go through the uncomfortable process of realising that you can't continue to do what you're doing and still bear fruit. It's a painful realisation. It's a pruning. It's a pruning. But don't despise it. Don't despise it. Because pruning leads to growth. And growth is our pattern. Growth is the pattern for every disciple of Jesus. He takes us from one degree of glory to the next. Our sanctification is a process of growing. It's what the Ephesians 4 gifts are there to help us to grow, to grow into maturity. And I I think sometimes we resist even growing. um, And we get stunted. We, We get like I would have been had I not listened to that prophetic word. I'd have stayed in that pot with the soil around my roots and would have been very happy. But probably as all things that are in a pot that is too small, I wouldn't have grown properly. As Kevin said, the minute you stepped out was your greatest growth moment. For Eduardo, the moment you stepped out, the greatest growth moment. And, and so I think, I think some of you, I mean, this is kind of slightly prophetic in a sense, I think some of you are pot-bound. Some of you are pot-bound. Uh, and God wants to release that and prepare you and shake the soil off your roots because that's the only way in which you're going to grow um so if that's you just bear just keep that in mind um multiplying i've I've mentioned a bit about this really all healthy living things multiply um do you know i'm praying for at the moment I'm praying for 20 new commission church plants in the UK in the next five years. And that will be more than we've done ever. But that's what I'm praying for. And you could have a part to play in that. You thought you were coming to a seminar, didn't you? (laughs) You could have a part to play in that. Because what does it take to achieve 20 church plants in the UK in the next five years? Well, it takes 20 Kevins and Vanessas. It takes 20 groups of people that will go with them. It takes hundreds of families relocating. It'll cost thousands of pounds. 
It'll mean leaving behind all those familiar things that were part of last year's bloom. But can you imagine if we're sat here in five years' time at the leaders' conference and we're able to look back and say, do you know what? God did that. God did that. Didn't know it was going to be me at the time, but God did it. So I just want to challenge you with that because I think you've probably got a part to play by the culture you set in the church, by hearing the call of God over your own life, by willing to submit a vision to your leaders, even, and saying, you know what, I, I, I didn't realise, um, I thought I was going to a seminar about other people planting churches, and uh, I think God's doing something in me. Can you guide me? Can you pray for me? Can you lead me and give me some wisdom? Um, because I don't want you to think this is something that other people do. It's when God gets hold of you that it happens. And ultimately, this new Eden that God is initiating through the church is a global mission. It's to cover the whole earth. That's why it's important that there are some that need to hear the call to go to Spain or Portugal, as Mike and Jessica did all those years ago. And it opens up new fields for God to plant and multiply in. I'm really praying with groups of churches in Italy, and we, it won't be long, I don't think, till we've got our first commissioned churches in Italy. Um, small beginnings. But hey, that's every seed, isn't it? And who knows what nations we could reach in the years ahead. Remember, our vision is to see lives transformed, and it is through hundreds of churches, but it's tens of nations. And I don't know. What are your connections? What are your dreams? What are the places you've been to? What are the places where your family has been? Where's your heritage? What languages do you speak? Those kind of things can be little moments that just nudge you into the adventure of God in church planting. Um, and it is an adventure. It really genuinely is. The most fun I have had as a Christian, apart from the joys of marriage, I have to say, is being on an adventure in planting churches. Biggest highs, the most challenging faith moments, the, the, the deepest moments of crying out to God have been in that arena of seeing God do things through planting churches. Has anybody got any questions? We've got five minutes for questions before we go and have some, some food and relax for a bit before the evening session, which I know is going to be great guys speaking tonight. Um, anybody got any questions you want to ask Kevin and Vanessa or myself? or We've got other church planters in the room as well. So... Go for it. What's the most fruitful thing um, anyone's done when they started a church? Obviously, when you're on a mission together, you're being out of community. What have, you, what have you noticed that's been really fruitful for those local? For for a new church plant, yeah. what kind of things have? I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, I think if I'm honest, I think you have to go with what gifting you have in the group of people that are going. So if you've got a group of people that are highly relational, I would say start doing something really relational. If you've got people that can preach and play music, musical instruments, I'd say do something that's... Because so we, we, were, we were blessed in that we had some good musicians and a few people that could preach. So the first thing we did was launch a Sunday meeting. But we could. 
And then we built our relational network and small groups on the back of that. But if you've got a group of highly relational people, I'd say go to the pub and spend some time with people. Um, so when we planted um, one of our sites, um, Pete, who was leading it, went to the local precinct every lunchtime and had his lunch in the pub, chatting to people in the pub, getting to know them and finding favour there, then did a quiz night and various different things like that relating to things that were already existing in the local area. So I think it, it, there's not a right or wrong, mm. but I think what I would say is you, you need to start with a missional mindset. So anything that's going to connect you with unbelievers rather than going thinking that you're just establishing a brand or, or something like that. If you don't start with a, a missional mindset, you're not going to build one in later. So we, we realized fairly quickly that the most effective way we were going to be missional was by doing two things. One was by meeting new people and then having something good to invite them to. So we did the tandem of those two things. Have you got... I think it's a brilliant answer. It's a great question. Really, really good question. I think it's a brilliant answer. I'd add to it. Number one is what you've got, what your gifts and skill set. The other thing is what, what pot are you being planted into? Uh, different soils will need different mm. types of plants um, and so the culture is very different in Spain than it was in the UK so we started very relationally in Salisbury and with an alpha course we saw people saved before we even got got going on a Sunday morning mm. um, it was fruitful because of a relationship and we had things like alpha alpha just doesn't work in Spain so no or not in our in experience so, you, yeah, you have to be, be a bit sensitive to what you've got and a bit sensitive to where you're going. But Yeah. Any other questions? Go for it. All the benefits and uh, reasons that you've sort of suggested uh, seem very much... Would you say they're equally applicable to a, a church planting that isn't like initiating a church, but almost from church revitalizations? Would, mm. would you say there is... Attributable to that sort of format of church planting. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, we've done some of that, and it's different. I would say it's different. When you're revitalising a congregation, um, it's, a, it's a strange combination of honouring what has gone on, the past of a church, but helping to breathe fresh life and vision into that, losing as few people as possible yeah and that's an art that is honestly an art in itself because the things that you think are going to cause problems don't and the things that you don't think are going to cause problems do so so i would say it's a it's quite a different thing it's a different skill set and uh i would say that there are some complexities with it but i would say there's a, a, a i haven't really got a theology of sacred space particularly but I think, I think contexts and communities where God has been worshipped for a long period of time, there is something of substance there in God mm. that we need to recognise and build on. Mm. So uh, New Life Church in Chicago has hundreds of sites across Chicago that have all been rejuvenations of dying churches. Mm. And their theology of it is that God was already here. So there's been generations of people sowing and giving and praying mm. for the mission here. Mm. So there's like an investment in it which they're then with humility coming on the back of and saying, and now we want to carry that mission on rather than see it die out and this be turned into a block of apartments. Um, and I think if people can catch vision for the new thing, 
what you'll find is that people that have been sowing into that for many generations, if they can make that jump, get that and find great delight in it. So there was a lady I saw who said, I was baptised in this church, I was married in this church, two years ago we thought it was going to die, but now this is my church. And it just, it's a good news story, but it's not without challenges, and I think you need a particular skill set to be able to turn, and turn around a church that's looking like it's heading for death and decay to bring life and health. Does that make sense? right we have hit our time ladies and gentlemen thanks ever so much for coming and if you have got questions afterwards Kevin's left a really really well thought this is a church planting sign up sheet (laughs) (laughs) raw raw is how it is okay so if you want to keep in touch or you want to chat to one of us or ask questions or get some advice or find out about things that are happening or keep your name in a loop somehow stick it your name and an email address on there and we'll get in touch with you after today but have a lovely break enjoy your tea